Y'all hear better? Is it good? Oh, yeah, the people back there are happy. You made people happy, Nelson. Good job. There you go. All right. All right, I'm going to start over now. No, I'm not. Okay, so, so you get the idea, though. Now we have something worthy, and it's because of the, it's because of the gospel. But now you can cry out and say, fill me with your spirit. And you saw that in the first passage of Acts chapter 13, right? The Holy Spirit had called them. The Holy Spirit sent them out. The Holy Spirit gave uh, Paul that, that, that guidance and power when he pronounced that blindness on the, the, the sorcerer that was there. And, and the Holy Spirit worked bringing conviction to, uh, to uh, uh, Sergius Paulus to bring him to, uh, to salvation. Praise the Lord. So uh, now here we go. Now we get in this passage today, and I love this. Now we get details of the sermon that was preached. And this is, this is just fantastic. I, I, I really need for everyone today to pay attention and listen. All right? That seems like a silly thing to say because I know you pay attention and listen all the time. But you at home, you here, really dial into this today. This is beautiful. Let's pray together, everyone. Our Father, help us to listen. We pray as we sang that you would fill us with your spirit, that we'd know your divine power. And I pray even in this moment, Lord, as we're listening to your word being read and being explained, this is worship. This is worship. This is not a casual, passive activity. As we sit and listen, we're worshiping you. And I pray, Lord God, we'd all have that spirit of worship and then that what we're fed with by you from your word would translate then into action in our lives. Work in your mighty power, Lord, I pray. I have no strength and power in myself, but your word is mighty power. And I pray you would use it to work in us today. We need it. We love you. You're so good to us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 13. Now, when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia. So they're not on the island of Cyprus anymore. Now they're on mainland Asia Minor, uh, which the modern nation of Turkey. Um, And John, that's Mark, John Mark, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. Just make the mental note of that in a future sermon coming up soon. That becomes a significant issue. I won't elaborate too much on it today. Right? Remember, they had gone to Jerusalem and they, uh, they picked up John Mark, who was in that house that Peter had, had gone to when he got out of prison. And uh, Paul and Barnabas brought John Mark with them back to Antioch and he became their assistant. But he was he assisted them in the Cypriot ministry, but now on Asia Minor, um, he left and he went back to Jerusalem. Verse 14. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia. So it's a different Antioch altogether. This would be in like kind of central, maybe a little western-ish Turkey. All right. They came to Antioch in Pisidia and they went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Now, before I read the sermon, let me just 
elaborate a little bit on that part of it. So you can see here, we were told that they went into the synagogues when they went to Cyprus. I explained that last week. That was the, the glory of God. Even though we know that the, uh, the wisdom of God, really, even though we know that the, the call that Paul distinctly had on his life was to testify before Gentiles, here God sends Paul, as is his custom, on many of these missionary stops that he makes. He first goes into the synagogue, and here you see why. Because when Paul enters the synagogue, he is given the opportunity to speak to it, right? And that's in some regard due to who he is. It's the blessing of God, and it's the favor of God. But Paul and Barnabas also have, especially Paul, a very strong background and connection to the religious leadership among the Jews and Jerusalem. In in Jerusalem, we know from other passages that we've read that Paul has a reputation that precedes him, right? So here he gets the opportunity to speak. I don't think the practice was that just random strangers could walk into the synagogue and just stand up and talk to people. That would be a pretty bad way to conduct any sort of religious or, or, or spiritual gathering. I think there was some sort of reputation there, perhaps, that preceded him. So you see the Lord very much at work in that. So they're gathered together. Part of their worship service is that there would be a reading of the law and the prophets. In other words, there'd be a scripture reading from what you and I call the Old Testament, right? That was the the Bible of the Jewish people. Uh, So the rulers of the synagogue sent to them and say, if you have anything to say, let's hear it. All right, here we go. Ready? Verse 16. Here's where it really gets so wonderful. Then Paul stood up. And motioning with his hand said, here comes the sermon. Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he brought them out of it. Now for a time of about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. After that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward, they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king. To whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a savior, Jesus. After John had first preached before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not he. But behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem 
and their rulers. Because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. Now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And he was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings. That promise which was made to the fathers. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus. As it is also written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And that he raised him from the dead no more to return to corruption, he has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, saw corruption. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man, is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. Behold, you despisers, Marvel and perish, for I will work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. There's a sermon. So, okay, so this isn't Paul preaching anymore now, right? This is the narrative. 42, just a couple more verses. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, right? Just like we do. The service ends, we all go outside. We stand outside, we fellowship, talk, we have a good time, whatever. Look what happened. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged. I've been preaching almost 19 years. I've never had this experience. <laughs> Nor do I expect to, which is no problem. <laughs> That's okay, because you can just go online and hear it again if you want to, right? But. Although if, you, if I did have this experience, I would be thrilled. The Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Next Sabbath when we come back, can you say that again? Can you tell that to us again? When you, when you read on, you see what they had in mind. Now, when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes, proselytes are Gentiles who have con actually formally converted to Judaism through circumcision and whatever else they required to formally 
be converted into the religious aspect of the life. Uh, They followed Paul and Barnabas who, speaking to them, persuaded them what? To continue in the grace of God. Which is, in other words, the grace of God is the essence of what's behind the gospel. It's all God's gift. It's none of our doing. It's all God's divine goodness and grace. And so he encourages the ones, you know, stay with this. Don't, don't deviate from this. There's all sorts of challenges that are going to come. All right, well, let's go back and let's go through some of this sermon, right? Because I really just want you to see. The first part of it is pretty straightforward, right? And I love what he does here. What is, what is the point of every gospel message? What is, what is it that you needed to hear if you're a Christian now? And if you haven't come to Christ yet, what is it that you really need to hear? You need Jesus. The centerpiece of all of this is Jesus. And everything he said is intended to build up to Jesus and the importance of Jesus. So he starts off in his address, in his salutation in verse 16. He starts off by saying, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. Right? So he's talking to two different subsets of people that he has sitting right in front of him. Men of Israel are the Jewish people in the synagogue. Now, I've explained this before, but quickly, one more time. In the dispersion of Jews, wherever they went, from town to town, whenever they had a community and they built a synagogue, there would, over the course of the life of that synagogue, be Gentiles who would hear of the God of Israel, Yahweh, and they would become listeners to the Word of God, and they would become believers. They would come to faith in Yahweh, and they themselves would come into the synagogues and they would sit and they would listen, right? So when, when Paul here addresses men of Israel, men of Israel and you who fear God, the men of Israel are the Jews and you who fear God are the Gentiles who are believers in the God of Israel, right? So very, very clearly we understand that in this synagogue, it's though it's the synagogue life was the centerpiece of the Jewish life, the Jewish religion in whatever town there was a synagogue. Um, but you see, you see here that there is a mixed audience in front of them, right? And God, God was going to greatly use that. The history of synagogues is interesting. You don't really read about synagogues in the law. You don't really read about synagogues in the narrative portions of the Old Testament. It would seem that synagogues arose in the days of the captivities when uh, after the temple had been destroyed after the Babylonian captivity uh, and people were scattered everywhere in order to uh, keep the life of the Jewish people together. Synagogues were raised up. By the time you read of Jesus on the earth, you receive Jesus going to the synagogue in Capernaum. You see him going to the synagogue in Nazareth, right? And so you have all these synagogues that are all over the place, not just in Judea, but here in uh, Gentile land, if I can put it that way, right? So in Antioch and Pisidia, there's a synagogue and there's Jews and Gentiles that go there to listen and to worship. You see God at work, right? You know how I know that God's at work? Look at verse 17. What's the first word? The God of this people, Israel, right? So the first thing that Paul does is he wants to tell them about God. 
right? Because if you're going to talk to people about Jesus, who is the Son of God, who is God in the flesh, you have to start, really, with God, right? Because that's who Jesus is. Isn't the whole point of Jesus to bring people to reconciliation with God? People are alienated from God because of their sin. The point of Jesus dying and rising from the dead was that, listen very carefully, the whole point of Jesus coming and dying and rising from the dead was so that the just wrath of God against sin would be satisfied in his death instead of ours. On behalf of us, for the benefit of us, Jesus died. So if you're going to talk to someone about Jesus, you start with God himself. And look what he says. The God of this people, Israel, and he gives them basically like a a brief history lesson. And the whole point of this is to start with God and to bring them to what God did through Jesus. So there's a bunch of points. First, he speaks of God choosing Israel, right? And they had been strangers in the land of Egypt. And then secondly, you see the Exodus, right? He brought them out. And then for a time, in ver- that's, that's the story of the Exodus. I'm not going to take the time to like, you could do a nice little history Bible study if you want for yourself and look up every one of these things in the Old Testament. Notice Paul does not do that though. There's an, see, that's another thing to note, isn't it? There's an assumption here because of the audience that he's speaking to in the synagogue that they would be up on this stuff. And frankly, us as Christians going to church for years and years and years, we should be pretty up on all of these things as well. Right, But in case you're not, this is a a little survey of Old Testament history from the calling of Israel to the anointing of David as king. Because David becomes very important in this whole discussion too. So he chose Israel. That's the first thing. And he brought them out of the land of Egypt after they were strangers there for hundreds of years, like 400 years or so. Uh, Then when they were wandering in the wilderness, he put up with their ways, it says in verse 18, for about 40 years. And if you remember, the older generation all died in the wilderness and the the younger generation became then the, the, the generation that would enter the promised land. Not even Moses actually entered the promised land. Just Joshua and Caleb from that older generation were the only ones to enter in. We were talking about that, a few of us, the other night. That's why you have the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. God had given the law to Moses, recorded in the book of Exodus, but then that whole generation dies, and then God gives him a second giving of the law, which is the book of Deuteronomy. And that's, again, uh, part of your Old Testament, part of the Pentateuch. All right. So then it says in verse 19, when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, that's basically the book of Joshua, right? He destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan and he brought them into the land. He distributed their land to them by allotment. And in the land, the nation of Israel, as it were, uh, was born. After that, he gave them judges. Pretty easy to see what book that is, right? That's the book of Judges in the Old Testament. For about 450 years, a very long period, until Samuel is raised up, Samuel the prophet. And afterward, they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish. You can read that in the Old Testament as well. The name Saul actually means asked for, right? You know how Saul became king. They begged and begged and begged. They wanted to have a king over them like the the rest of the nations around them did. That was to some extent seen by God as a rejection because God himself 
was to be their king and to be their leader, but God gave them the king and gave them the man that they asked for, which was Saul, whose name means asked for. And do you remember why? Does anyone remember why they picked uh, Saul as their king? Very great, very great spiritual, uh, spiritual insight because he was the tallest guy there, right? He was a, he was a tall, he was, he, was a, he was a big guy. So, yeah, let's make the big guy our king. Really good spiritual insight, right? So, how did that work out? Not so great. So, Saul doesn't go into detail here, but reminds them that Saul, 40 years, he, was, uh, he removed him. And then he raised up his own man to be their king. All right, you want a king? I'll give you who you want. Let's see how that goes. That didn't go well. So God raises up his own king. And boy, does, does David become important in this whole story of how God gets us Jesus, right? He raised up for them David, verse 22 says, as king, to whom he also gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. So Paul, in preaching to this minister, this uh, gathering at the synagogue of Jews and Gentiles, makes the point of telling them that David is a very important part of this because he actually points out where the scripture says that David was a man after God's own heart, right? So David becomes a very important part of this story, and, and you'll see why as he goes on. Verse 23, from this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a savior, Jesus. That's why it's important that David was God's choice because Jesus, according to the flesh, is a descendant of David. Did you know that? I think most of you probably know that, but if you didn't, you can trace the genealogies, all those, some of those uh, portions of the Bible that maybe we skip over and we're not <laughs> really happy about having to read, but they're, they actually can be very fascinating. You open up the book of Matthew, the very beginning of the New Testament starts with the genealogies of basically Abraham to David and then David to, uh, to Jesus, right? And uh, that's what you see. Is, is that, and one of Jesus' titles that identifies him uh, in a couple, we looked at one recently, as the Messiah, is that he is what? Son of David, right? So there he is. So the Messiah, Jesus, is this one who was raised up of the descendancy and lineage of, J- of David. Now, now we start with the life of Jesus himself. So you got it so far, right? We want to see, first of all, how God has worked in history to bring us, to bring the world to that point where Jesus was born. Jesus had been spoken of by prophets. Jesus had been spoken of throughout various symbols, even in the religious ceremonies and in the law and even in certain facets of their history. And Jesus had been, uh, the Messiah had been the one who was going to be the descendant of David. Now, uh, verse 24, we start then with telling this audience, you know, here's who Jesus was. After John, notice he just says John without giving a lot of explanation. You need to know that John the Baptist was a pretty big deal in his day. John the Baptist was not just, listen, not just some isolated random guy out in the wilderness. Sometimes it's perceived that way. John the Baptist had become so well known that 
the religious leaders in Jerusalem had at least on one occasion sent a formal delegation, including soldiers and everything else, out to the river where he was ministering to ask him, who are you? And that's, and that's recorded in scripture, right? And he was a prisoner of no less than Herod himself and, uh, and was actually put to death by Herod. And so he's a pretty public figure, was John the Baptist. And the word of him, no doubt, had spread and was known even beyond the borders of Israel, but it was certainly known to these people who were sitting in the synagogue. After John had first preached, before his coming, that is before Jesus came, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, uh, and as John was finishing his course, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not he, but behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to loose. Why is Paul saying that? Because this John the Baptist, his mission, this, this pretty important and fairly well-known guy, when he was here on the earth, you know, several decades before Paul is preaching now, his mission was to point people to this one, this Jesus, who was the descendant of David, right? So you see the, th- the two things, the three things so far that Paul has done. He has shown that the history of Israel... The point of it was to bring us to Jesus. The calling of David as king, the point of it was to raise up a descendant who was Jesus. This John the Baptist who preached and had this large gathering and was executed by Herod himself, his whole point was to point people to Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's Paul's point, preaching in this synagogue. Everything, everything that we're about, you and I sitting here in the synagogue in Antioch and Pisidia, everything that we know and understand and learn is about pointing us to Jesus. He continues, verse 26. Now here comes what happened to Jesus. Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God. You, know, you understand that now, right? That's that. That's that uh, recognition of the dual audience that he has in front of him. The family of Abraham, that's the Jews in the audience. Those among you who fear God, that's the Gentiles in the audience. To you, the word of this salvation has been sent. What salvation? Back in verse 23, God raised up for Israel a Savior. You see what he's saying? He's saying that... God raised up Jesus, whose name means salvation. God raised up Jesus to save people. And now he's saying, you people sitting here listening to me, all of you, my Jewish brothers, my Gentile friends, listen to me. I am here to tell you the word of this salvation that Jesus came to deliver. You follow? Good. Verse 27. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, listen to this, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. What a statement to make in a synagogue, right? Go into a synagogue today and try to assert that, and you'll understand what I mean. The religious leaders among the Jews in Jerusalem... They didn't understand, they didn't recognize Jesus because they didn't believe the words of their own prophets that they read week after week after week after week. Had they, 
truly understood the Word of God, the words of the prophets, the words of the Old Testament, they would have recognized that this was their Messiah standing right before him, them. But God's plan, God's plan, of course, was for Jesus to die. So their rejection of Jesus, right? This is an important point to make in the synagogue. Because sitting in a synagogue in the first century and having someone tell you Jesus is, the, Jesus is and was the Messiah would be a dicey proposition. Because their religious leaders in Jerusalem rejected him and put him, had him put to death. So here's Paul and Barnabas standing there and basically completely breaking ranks with the religious leaders of the Jewish people in Jerusalem. Yes, they put him to death, but here's why they put him to death. Two reasons. Number one, their hearts were hard and they didn't recognize the voices of their own prophets that they read every week. And number two, here's the big one, it was God's will all along. Their rejection of Jesus and handing him over to Pilate to be crucified... That played right into the hands of what God wanted to be done. They thought they were eliminating a problem. They thought they were wiping away someone who was a threat to their religious system. In actuality, what they were doing, not even realizing it, was they were being used by God to bring forth salvation to everyone who would believe. Because by turning Jesus over, his crucifixion happened, which fulfilled the words of the prophets. And he died, and when he was on the cross... Listen, when Jesus was dying on the cross, he wasn't dying on the cross because the, the religious leaders were successful in eliminating what they perceived to be a problem. When Jesus died on the cross, that was God himself. It pleased the Lord to bruise him, Psalm 53 says. By his stripes we are healed, Psalm 53 uh, Isaiah 53 says, not Psalm 53, Isaiah 53, right? And so what was happening when Jesus died on the cross from the perspective, you know, because they were like, aha, aha, you who uh, saved others, you save yourself and come down from the right. They mocked him right up to the point of his death. But in actuality, what was happening was all of the just wrath of God, listen, 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 all of the just wrath of God against sin was being poured out on Jesus while he was on the cross. And in their ignorance and in their pride, they were actually being used by God to bring it about. Quite, quite an assertion to make, but it's brilliant and it is corroborated by much other scripture. So, for those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers... Because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate, right, the Roman governor in Jerusalem, Pontius Pilate, that he should be put to death. Now, when they had full, so, so there's, there's the description of Jesus' death. And Paul's assertion in the synagogue was that was God's plan. Now, verse 29, next step in all this. Now, when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree, which is a reference to the fact that the Romans executed him the way they execute, Christo uh, the way they execute all their criminals, right? By crucifixion, he was crucified. 
they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. So what facet is being, what important facet of Christ's mission on earth is being fulfilled there? He was buried, right? It's not just that he died and then his body was whisked away. Or he was died and then nobody knows what happened after that. I mean, Paul's very clear. The burial of Jesus is a significant thing. When Jesus was buried, his body was put in a grave. A grave that no one else had ever used, right? Scripture tells us that. And then this gigantic stone was rolled in front of it. And a detachment of Roman soldiers was set in front of the grave to guard it. Right? Because they didn't want anything going on. But of course, God used all of that as well. The more attention that was given to, the more attention that was given to how secure the tomb was, lent authenticity and credibility to the fact that Jesus must have risen from the dead. Because there's no way a, a bunch of fishermen and, and Galileans were going to get through this group of Roman soldiers and roll away that big stone and steal his body away, right? Though they paid the Roman soldiers, the gospel says, to, to, to tell that lie. You know, but the scripture says of Christ, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says, basically, Paul says, here's the gospel. Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures, was buried, and on the third day, he rose from the dead according to the scriptures. That's the essence of the gospel. That's the essence of what God did. That's the essence of how our salvation, that's the essence of how our justification and our hope of everlasting life, our regeneration and new life here on earth, leading to life ultimately with the Lord forever. That's how God brought it about. And that's the only, it's a narrow way. It's a small way. It doesn't take a lot of, ton of words to describe it. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. And that's what comes next, right? That's what Paul's laying out here. The very thing that he wrote in 1 Corinthians with a few more words, he's laying it out. They took his body down from the cross, right? Because he had died. The Romans crucified him, and they buried him in a tomb. And then verse 30, but God raised him from the dead, right? And then an explanation, because of all of the things that are part of what Jesus did to save us, the one that's always the most controversial is the resurrection, right? As I explained before, how the the religious leaders had paid off the Roman soldiers to spread the lie that Uh, His disciples had come and stolen his body away, which we know would have been completely impossible. Um, But there are other times when you read of Paul preaching, like when he's in Athens up in chapter 17 when we get there, and he's preaching and he's preaching, and as soon as he gets to the point of the resurrection, they're like, stop. And they abruptly stop what he's listening to, and, and that's the end of his sermon right there. But here in the synagogue... He's talking to people who have some understanding, Jews and Gentiles. And so he's going to actually use scripture to explain to them, just like Peter did at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. He's going to use scripture to explain how the resurrection fulfilled the plan of God. God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. 
right? That's a reference to the fact that he rose from the dead. A lot of us saw it. And those of us who saw it, well, he wasn't, Paul himself wasn't one of them at that time. But the apostles and those, those 500 witnesses who saw Jesus risen from the dead, they just went everywhere spreading the news. Amen? Verse 32. And we declare to you glad tidings. Glad tidings. Good news. The gospel. Hey, everyone. So, so now you see what Paul has done up to this point. He gave them the history of Israel up to King David. He showed how Jesus was the prophesied descendant of King David, the Messiah. He showed how when Jesus then was born, how John the Baptist's ministry pointed to Jesus, how the religious leaders rejected him and handed him over to be crucified, and how that was God's plan all along, that that Jesus would be crucified and die for our sins. Showed how he was buried in a tomb. Showed how now he was raised from the dead. And now he says, guess what, everyone? I've got good news for you. So here comes the point. Here comes the point of why all this is so important. Verse 33, God has fulfilled this for us, this promise which he talked about in the previous verse, the promise that was made to the fathers. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus. And then just three simple scripture quotations to show that the Bible foretold that Jesus would rise from the dead, right? First one, as it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you, right? That is, the point of that quotation is to show that the Messiah is the son of God, right? You can read Psalm 2 for yourself. It's a very powerful psalm, and it's not that long. But if you read Psalm 2, you can see that it's all about God speaking of the Messiah and how he says, you are my son. So the Messiah is the son of God. Today I have begotten you. And that he raised him from the dead no more to return to corruption, he has spoken thus. And he quotes from Isaiah, I will give you the sure mercies of David. That is to show that Messiah would be a descendant of David. And then verse 35, therefore he says in another psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. And that is to say that the Messiah... The son of God, this descendant of David, when he died, was not going to stay dead. It could not be David talking about himself because David died. And as Peter pointed out back in chapter 2, and as Paul points out here in verse 36, David died and his tomb is still right there, right? So it couldn't have been David talking about himself, right? He was writing about the one who would come after him. But those three little scripture verses are quoted to show the Messiah would actually be the Son of God. The Messiah would actually be a descendant of David. So he's the Son of God. He's a descendant of David. And that he would not stay dead, that he would rise from the dead. Could not have been David talking about himself. Had to be David talking about the Messiah. You understand the point? The point is, he's using scripture in the synagogue to show that Messiah, the Son of God, the Son of David, was going to die, but not stay dead. He was going to rise from the dead. In other words, don't be shocked that I'm telling you that Jesus rose from the dead. Don't be so shocked when I tell you that witnesses, hundreds of them, saw him and are going all over the world telling people that they saw Jesus risen from the dead. Don't be so shocked as if this is some strange foreign thing. The scriptures 
plainly and simply show us that Jesus all along, the Messiah, was going to rise from the dead. And he has. Amen? And then the explanation, and then here comes the great conclusion. Verse 36, For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and saw corruption. That is, his body was in a grave and decayed in a grave. Right? So, when David wrote in Psalm 16, as quoted in verse 35, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption, he could not have been speaking of himself. Right? Because his body was in the grave and saw corruption. You follow that? But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. Jesus died, was buried, and on the third day he rose from the dead. Hallelujah. Now, what does that all mean? Everyone just take a, take a breather and look up here at me. Everyone look at me. Let me see all of your eyes. Right? All of that that I just explained and that Paul had spoken. And you know, I have to say, I think, I think it's possible that this is a verbatim quotation of every single word, but it's also possible that a little more explanation was given by Paul and maybe Luke here writing this down is giving the, the important cogent facts. I don't know if it's an exact word for word what he said. There might have been a little more explanation that Paul did. But whatever the case is, what's the point of it? What is it that, where does this lead to? What's the great conclusion of this matter? What is it that this audience in Antioch and Pisidia, this audience at Fellowship Bible Church, this audience watching and listening to this online, any audience listening to anyone proclaiming Jesus dying, being buried, and rising from the dead, what is the point of it? What is it that you need to know? There's verse 38. See it? That's, and that's right, by the way. Verse 38. This is exactly what it says. Therefore, let it be known to you. When you get a therefore, you know here comes the conclusion. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man, that's Jesus, is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. Because when Jesus suffered and died on that cross, all of the just wrath of God against our sins was received in his body. He took the penalty for us. And then they took his body off the tree, like Paul said, and buried it in the grave. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. That's why your sins can be forgiven. If Jesus had not died and been buried and risen from the dead, your sins would have no chance of being forgiven. This is the one way, the narrow way, the only way by which a person can be saved. Let me say that again. It is a narrow way, small way only way. There are all kinds of ways that people describe all kinds of religions, all kinds of philosophies. God, the God of Israel, the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who is revealed in the Bible says one small, narrow way. And this is it right here. Jesus went through and endured all of this. And now today I am preaching to you. Paul says, now today I am preaching to you. Pastor Lou says, you, you, I am preaching to you the forgiveness of sins. 
Verse 39, listen to this. By him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. There's the heart of it right there, right? We are sinful. You know, like the, we, we do, we train people to evangelize using that way of the master thing, right? And, and you've heard me say this many times. And we ask people about the, the commandments of God and everything else. This is why. This is the reason for all of that. The law of Moses was not given so that people could, by keeping it, justify themselves before God. Everyone listen. Here's another look at me moment. Everyone look at me. Everyone look at me. God gave commandments. Should you keep God's commandments? Of course you should, right? Don't lie. You're not supposed to be lying to each other, right? Don't steal. We shouldn't steal from each other. You know, honor your parents. You shouldn't dishonor, talk back to, disobey your parents. Don't covet other people's things. Don't commit adultery. Jesus said, don't even lust in your heart after another person, etc., etc., right? We should keep those commands right. Do we? No one does. Nobody can justify themselves by the life that they have lived. You can never justify yourself because what God's law actually does is teaches us the opposite. His law is like a school teacher, an instructor who tells us, you know, don't lie, don't steal, uh, don't commit adultery, don't, don't dishonor your parents, don't covet other people's things, don't murder, you know, honor only God, don't worship any statues, etc. and so forth, Right? Uh, what that law is doing is pointing out to us point after point after point after point that we have failed God. We have sinned. That's what sin is. Transgression of God's law. We have all sinned. The only hope that we have before God is the forgiveness of those sins. Because you can never make up for those sins. You can never take them back. Even if you were able to say, okay, well, now I know this. So today, starting today, I'm never going to commit another sin. You're not going to make it to sunset. Probably. Right? That's what God's law does. It shows us that we're sinful and we're condemned. When Jesus died on the cross, the penalty that we've earned for ourselves because of all of our sin was absorbed and taken by him. So that now Paul could stand there and say, I'm preaching to you the forgiveness of your sins. And it's the only way. It's a narrow, tiny little path in the midst of an immeasurably wide expanse or field. There's this one little path that you follow and it gets you to God. And that is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what justification is? You see this? By him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Justification is a formal certification that you are righteous. Right? Righteous. I cannot declare... I cannot certify. I can't weigh I can't wave up. Look at my Bible, God. Look at how many times I went to church. Here's a baptism certificate. Here's a first communion thing. Here's here's this, that, this religious trinket, that religious tr Here's all this stuff. There's no way. There's nothing you can present in front of God where you can justify yourself. 
When Jesus died, God accepted the death of his son as completely sufficient to pay for the price of our sins. So that, what's it say? Everyone who believes is justified. When a person, here it is, when a person puts their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, when they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, God certifies them as righteous. Not righteousness in your deeds, not righteousness in your works, not righteousness that you can feel for yourself. It's the righteousness of Jesus himself. God assigns, God credits the righteousness of Jesus to you when you believe. And now by his grace and by his mercy and by his love, you are justified. Jesus did all the work in dying and being buried and rising from the dead. And now when you simply believe with all of your heart, trust him with all of your heart, you are forgiven, you are forever, irrevocably justified. And you have a certain hope of everlasting life. Do you know that that's not the end of his sermon? He did one more pretty important thing. After he said that, he warned them. Right? He warned them by quoting from Habakkuk, in the old, another one of their prophets in the Old Testament. Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. He warns them. Don't reject this one way. You're being clued in to the one way. Don't be one of these despisers that the prophet Habakkuk talked about. Behold, you despisers, marvel and die. For a work which I work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. Don't be a person who hears these wonderful words of life and reject it and despise it and turn away from it. Well, you know what? Uh, that all sounds good, but I, I've got my religion. And you know what? I'm really not that bad of a guy. I mean, I understand this. This is all nice, but, but I'm a pretty good guy. I'm not as bad as these people over here. Listen, don't be a person who rejects this. You cannot justify yourself before God. You cannot. But God will justify you if you will humble yourself, repent, turn to Jesus, and receive Him and put all of your faith and trust in Him. And then you will be forgiven of your sins and you will be justified by His grace through faith. So He warns them, don't be someone who rejects that. Because, you know, it says what? Marvel and perish. Be amazed and die, you who reject this. And listen, that sounds like strong... How You can't say it's strong enough. Broad is the way that leads to destruction and many go there. Narrow is the way that lead to, leads to life and few find it. Everyone by their own natural existence is on this super wide, smooth, wonderful, comfortable to travel on road, cruising along to their destruction in hell. And then there's this one tiny obscure little exit off of it. That is Jesus. And that's the way that leads to life. 
you, 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 most people miss it. You've been told, here it comes. Preaching the gospel is like a spiritual GPS. Right? Here it comes. Ready? Make a right turn at Jesus. Listen, you miss it and keep going. There's no recalibrating of your GPS. You just keep going right on to hell. You, you, you get on that now. And that's why he says, marvel and die. You will become aware of the fact that this was the way to everlasting life. And then you'll end up dead because you didn't take the turn. Repent. Come to Jesus. Receive him. Believe with all of your heart. Well, you know what? There's just one more thing to say. <laughs> because, listen, for me... All of that is wonderful, but I think like the best little part of this, and I'll save some of it for next week, but you got to see this. You know what happens afterwards? The Jews go out of the synagogue, the Gentiles hang around, and they're like, say it again. Please say it to us again. Please come back next Sabbath. Come back next week and say it to us again. Please. Why? Why were they saying that? Look at verse 44. That'll be next week, but... Almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. Look, if you're, a, if you're a Christian and you read this and you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm already saved, you know, I believe, you know, so I don't really need... Well, you know what? You know what your job is? Your job is to be one of those people that goes out. You know what they did? They went out. They went out. They gathered the whole town. And the whole town came back to the synagogue next week to hear the same thing. Not, not something new and fresh and original. Preach us the words of this life again. Please come back again. I want my family to hear it. I want my friends to hear it. And I thought to myself, I was talking to Roberta a little bit about this. It's like, how are they able to do that? Like, the, you, heard a, you heard a sermon, and then they somehow gathered the whole town to come and hear the same sermon again a week later. There has to be something more at work than just human effort. Because you know what happens? When these people believe, they receive the Holy Spirit of God. They receive the Holy Spirit and they're brought to new life. There's all kinds of life visible, tangible now in these people. They're changed. They're different. They're alive. Because remember last week's passage, this is the Holy Spirit's work. The Holy Spirit now is, alive, is, is in them and they have been regenerated. They've been born again. They're alive. And so they have all this life and all this energy and all this passion from God. And they just go out led and empowered by God. And they're able to gather the entire city to come back. And hear the gospel again. If you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, where's that in your life? Where's the, where's the constantly going after people and getting them? Listen, are you hearing the gospel today? Yes or no? Are you hearing the words of eternal life today? Do you know anybody else who needs to hear it? You're online. You're hearing this? You know anyone else who needs to hear it? Pray for them and tell them, come on and listen. That's what these guys did. And when they came back one week later, the whole city was gathered to hear the gospel. They're working with a power that we just don't know. But we're supposed to know it. We're supposed to walk in it. It's the same Holy Spirit. It's God himself living in us just as he lived in them. 
What are we doing wrong? Well, that's the subject of a whole sermon and a whole series of sermons in and of itself. But I would start here. You need to get your attitude right. You need to get your focus right. You need to be praying to the Lord. You need to understand what the will of the Lord is. You need to understand what we're called to. You need to, you need to like prioritize your life in such a way that Lord is truly the Lord and that you're serving him. And we need to be going after people to bring them into here. You know, you think to yourself, well, I can't go out on the street and talk to people and everything else. I don't know if I agree with that, but okay, I'll accept that for now. But you know what you can do? You can show someone, hey, man, we're preaching the gospel here. Come and listen. I love you. And I, 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 this happened to me. I received this life from Christ and I want for you. To, just come and listen. Just come one time and listen. Just tune in online one time and listen. That's, that's the will of God that we're doing that. There you see it in front of you. What happened when they all came back the following week? That's next week's sermon. Just like they had to wait a week, you have to wait a week too. If you need Christ, respond to his words of life, his wonderful words of life. Respond by believing. I've taken you as far as a preacher can take you. I've described for you how Jesus died, was buried, and rose from the dead. That's it. That's the whole thing. That's the plan of God to bring salvation. If you need me to explain it some more, come talk to me and I'll explain it some more. But come to him. Believe. Believe. Receive him. And if you're in Christ, go get Woodbridge and get them here. Go get your town and get them here. Go get your friends and your family and get them online or get them here to hear these words. I don't care how big the church is. Way past worrying about how many people are here and all that stuff. Very happy to just be in a nice little congregation with a bunch of my friends and everything else. It's not about that. It's about getting this word out, the word of this life. If you're a Christian, that's your call. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much that we could read and study your word here today. It's so clear, so glorious, and so wonderful. If anyone hearing this needs Christ I don't know how much more clear it could be put than this passage today. I pray, Lord God, by the power of your Spirit, you would draw them to faith that they might be saved from their sins and begin to walk with you day by day. And for those of us who, by your grace, have already received this salvation because we've believed, I pray that you would fill us with power and with strength like these people obviously were and help us to go and reach out for others as the course of history speeds towards your return. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.